Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. All right, <laughs> welcome aboard. Uh, this is uh, Tone Duff Sessions. I've lost count which one. I'll figure that out later. Uh, and we're here with the Kinman brothers. Hey. Uh, Tony and Chip, say hi, guys. Hey. Hi, hi guys. Uh, they have a lot of stuff to talk about, and uh, in my opinion, quite an unusual and somewhat singular career in the history of music. Uh, I can't really think of anyone whose path and uh, output has been similar to your guys. I mean, we'll, we'll get into all of that, but... Uh, rather than diving back 40 years ago to the 70s, why don't we start with, <laughs> with stuff you might remember more readily that it's happening currently, such as uh, putting out the Ford Maddox Ford record, which yes. is uh, Chip Kimmons' new band, uh, coming out. Uh, when is it coming out? It's going to come out in the beginning of uh, 2018 in January. We're going to release a single uh, at the end of 2017 in December, and um, they're pretty excited about it. It's coming out on uh, Porterhouse Records slash Wondercap Records takes two record companies to put out a record. Uh, and of course, I know uh, <laughs> I've had a long, long relationship with Steve Krebeck, but right. I don't know the other label. Um, Chris Ashford put out um, I Hate oh, the Rich okay, Chris, for me. Of course, yeah, of course. yeah, yeah. He put out our first record, and um, well, he's putting out my last. I don't know if it'll be my last record, it's but my last. Yes, yeah, or my current record anyway. And uh, Chris put out Blackbird Records. Um, uh, he did the Germs movie, and uh, Chris has been around. You know, you know the, the the scene forever. He's he's a terrific guy and terrific to work with. And, and he, so he has an ongoing label and business that he's been that he's been doing all this time. Right? Yeah, since 1977. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know I don't know if uh, before he put out records, but I don't think so. Before punk rock, I think. What was uh, his label back then? Uh, what records? What records? Yeah, so they did a lot of like really early important stuff. He put out um, forming by the Germs. I hate the rich by uh, us the Dills, and he put out, I think the Eyes. And controllers, and yeah, I feel like all that stuff got put on a compilation somewhere down the line. It did kind of put I it think all it was called I think, what, I, I think it was called What Records, or yeah. Something, or something you know, like I had to get that. too clever, oddly yes, <laughs> yeah, oddly enough. <laughs> so, now in the new band, just so uh -huh. everyone knows, you're the front guy playing yes. guitar, yes. Uh, your son Dewey is on lead shredder guitar, indeed, he is. And uh, who's the rest of the band? Uh, we have oh. Matt Littell on bass and uh, S. Scott Aguero on drums. Um, there's some fellas I saw playing around, uh, you know, in, in local nightclubs, and I thought you would be good. So, uh, you know, asked them if they wanted to be in the band, and, and luckily they both said yes. Um, and it's great to be in a band with, you know, Dewey Peak, my son, because uh, it seems like I've always been in family bands, and. Uh, Tony wasn't available to be in this band, but um, but available to produce our record. But that's right. So you're on board yeah. to like uh, man the controls, and I believe you guys co-wrote some stuff, right? Indeed, we co-wrote some stuff. He does a tiny bit of singing on the record, you know, um, but yeah, we co-wrote some of the songs, and uh, and uh, it's pretty exciting. I wrote the rest with uh, with Dewey, and. Um, um, it's it's pretty cool. We kind of we kind of wrote the songs in this record the same way we did like songs on Sundown, where Tony and I were living in different cities, and I would write lyrics and send them to him, and he would just write back and say, "Well, that sucks. Why don't you try this?" Or you know that sort of thing. You know, <laughs> you guys edit each other pretty pretty 
naturally? I mean, is it a, is it a process that you've been at? I assume forever. Been doing it for a long time. Yes, we have. Um, sometimes it gets kind of brutal, as you can imagine with brothers. I mean, forget just guys in bands, but right. with brothers and stuff like. Well, I mean, you guys have been at it forever. Whatever goes back and forth, you're always trying new things and doing new stuff. Yes, it would appear to the outside people, such as myself, that perhaps you guys get along better than some of the famous brothers such as you know oasis or the kinks or the black <laughs> pros you it seems like your relationship's a little more solid and low-key than say it is a, some of those yeah. violent it turned it, it turned it's turned out to be that way but so, we've had know, our moments yeah sometimes not you know but for the most part yeah uh there's i getting back to working together the, th the thing is it, it's that the after you've been doing it for so long, after a while, you don't, uh, like... Sweat the stupid stuff. <laughs> well, you don't... It's it's that you'll just sort of know uh, each other's weaknesses or strengths or when's the... Or, you know, or when you can feel the inspiration's there or not, and you'll just kind of go, this, like Chip said, this sucks. You know, this is... <laughs> and, uh, but, but... And then the other person will go, yeah, I know. You know, because... So fix it <laughs> or, 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 you know, how do i make it better yeah, or, or put, put, do something better you know uh in terms of your songwriting it, does somebody have a job kind of is one guy the music guy one guy's the lyric guy or is both or both it's always just been kind of a mishmash okay basically. yeah it was mostly um uh not to really compare ourselves to Linda mccartney but it'd be like tony would write a song and i would add a little bit to it or something you know or I would mostly write the song and Tony would add a little bit to it. It's mostly like that. It wasn't a, we sat down together and let's write a song. We've never, we've never. Well, I think that's I pretty normal, actually. That. I think it's difficult to, I mean, I've, I've done it with people, like we're going to yeah. get together and write a song, but it's like, oh, okay, so I'm going to be creative then? Okay, I'll show up and be creative. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a hard thing to do. It is. I know I know some people that do do that. It, they they write as a, uh, as a. Like uh, a craft thing. Yeah, like a job. It's yeah. like I'm a songwriter. I will get up and write songs. That's what, like a plumber goes to plum. I will mm. write songs. And uh, it, depending on the the talent involved, uh, that's a lot of great songs have been written that way. You know, the, the you know especially back in the old days uh, when you when know, you actually went to when a you had cubicle. a, a real yeah. building or something, <laughs> or you were you know you were signed right. to a music yeah, publisher, the piano. and it was like, or you know, you worked on Broadway, and it's like you got to. Hey, yeah. These the, the show goes on. The show opens in such a date. Let's we got to do a this. deadline. Uh, but uh, depending on the skill level, I have I have noticed though that a lot of times people that write that way, uh, it if they're if they're really good, uh, you can't tell. You know, like their best stuff will sound as great, will sound inspired and beautiful. Which I, you know maybe they were inspired and beautiful when they wrote it. Sure. Uh, but a lot of their stuff sounds. Uh, uh, very writerly like you you can hear the writing and the music you can hear the you can hear the clever stuff you can right. hear the uh the the artifice to it you well, know? and i would yeah. imagine also back in those days and people that still do it nowadays that uh you know you're doing a ton of stuff and one out of seven one out of eight's one that somebody might hey let's work on this more and let's mm -hmm. do this one yeah you know like and there's six throwaways that just yeah. never see the light of day i think nowadays the twist on that is like when you see some of these especially uh the more pop records and 
Uh, I, I know, we'll put it this way. If you read the credits for the last Beyonce record, it's like a film. Yeah. It's like a blockbuster <laughs> film. There sure. are so many people involved. And I, I kind of wonder, I go, where is she in all of this? It seems like she's just like this little piece of it. And there's like nine to 12 writers per song. And like, yeah. what are they all doing? And how does, how does that work? But it, it seems like instead of, well, we wrote these 10 songs, one of them will be okay. It's like we're getting these 10 people together to make sure this one is going yeah. to yeah. come out all right. It's a well, weird way of functioning, I it's, think. It's definitely different. I, I, think, I, I do think that's the modern thing. I was reading something uh, the other day. It was, uh, it w they were attributing it to a, uh, a modern lack of attention span. Well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> whatever. But... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, because I'm just reading it, it's like, yeah, you know, it's the music, you know, it's just reading this, you know, what's, what's happening these days. So I'm reading this and they talk about, and somebody's going, well, you know, back in the old days, they only had to have like one hook. But uh, nowadays, in order for a song to make it, it has to have, have like seven hooks. And I was kind of going, well, that's, how does that, how does that even, there's songs that were huge hits that didn't have any hooks, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Think of a, think of a Jim Croce song, what's the hook? You know, but Jim Croce sold millions of records. He had hits. That, but there's no hook and there's no there's a melodies. You know, someone always gets hurt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> chewed up by a dog or yeah. beat up. Or yeah, he's gonna yeah. kick your ass. It's always violence with a gun yeah. or pieces yeah. gone. Yeah. But uh, you know, or or then, but then you do have songs from back in those days too, where there are 15 hooks. A song like uh, 19th Nervous Breakdown. There's like 25 hooks in that one. Mm -hmm. You know, but the thing is, is that I was just kind of going. I, is there somebody? I mean, is there somebody in the in the in the process that's kind of going? You're up to six hooks, guys. We need one more. The hook regulator. Yeah, <laughs> we need one more. I don't know. Maybe there is. Yeah, but yeah. I just the thought, executive producer. It's weird though. People always try to figure out. You know, it's the and no one's figured it out. No, nobody's yeah. figured it out. Well, it, and it's it's weird. I think pop music has always kind of been like that to a degree where it's like. This is what's happening. Let's do one of those, and we'll try to have a hit of our own. Mm -hmm. Like you look back at the bubblegum era, what was yeah. it was made to look like bands, but it was really manufactured yeah. stuff like Motown with the same guys playing on every record. Yeah. And this yeah, guy would yeah. sing, and they would say it was that band. And uh -huh. well, what's great about pop music too is uh, is when something just comes out from left field, like punk rock did, or you know, or the Ramones did, or you know, just like some crazy new sound and, wow we hadn't thought of that before and then of course that you know becomes a whole other thing like like what hip-hop became so um that's i think that's what's really exciting when the new sounds come when when bob marley like showed up as far as we're concerned when bob marley yeah, showed great. up and it was you know it was it was a brand new sound i remember uh our older brother charles um saying you know he was always he was like a, a Pot swilling hippie, so I don't know how he was always on the edge of new music, but he was. He like bought Kraftwerk records and you know Bob Marley before I had ever heard of him or anything. And uh, and he said, you know, you got to listen to this. And I'll, you know, it's uh, it's great when a new sound comes in, mm -hmm. and that's what's exciting to me when something new happens. And um, those are the most exciting points. Well, having said that, it's interesting to me that uh, you know, looking at your whole trajectory, you mm -hmm. guys were. <clears throat> always way on the leading edge like one of the first la punk bands one of the first bands to go hey, we're, we're country rock now right and then be a pure country band when that was pretty pretty <laughs> out and even you know blackbird doing like kind of the, yeah, uh, with the noise industrial rock right. stuff that was just starting to brew up 
but now you're doing kind of a blues thing, yes, which is like a reversal of all of that. You're kind of going back to the to the way beginning. Well, it's something that I've never like tried to fuss with before, mostly because um, I've I've always stayed away from uh, black music because I simply can't do it. I'm not black. It would just sound I'd sound like an asshole. Um, you know, yes. try, you know, trying to play reggae, <laughs> you know, trying to do gospel, that sort of thing. I've, I, it, it, it just wouldn't work. So, so when I decided, um, when actually uh, Dewey and I, we took a trip out to Texas, because he had he had his uh, his punk band called the Catellas, and I thought all he all he knew was the LAC, and I said, you know what, I want to show you something else, and so we drove out to Austin. And went to these different nightclubs and everything, and and that's really where we put this band together and kind of decided. Well, you know, can I play blues? No, I don't think I can. But, you know, can I bring anything to it? That that was what was important to me. So, um, so we wrote a few songs. And I said, Yeah, I think I can. I think I can do it different from, like, old guys in Aloha shirts and and you know and uh, 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 little caps. Or, or guys with their Ray-Bans on and, the, you know, the Blues Brother thing or the hippie thing or the... the uh, surfer blues. The surfer blues or the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. It's like, uh... Or the, or the two guys playing really loud with distorted vocals blues. You know, I think I, I, think I have something new to bring. And um, so that's why I went in that direction. Yeah, I was going to say, there's certainly been no shortage of rock groups dabbling in blues stuff well, yeah, you know, from yeah. the Jeff Beck group through the Stones through yeah, the Black Keys as you mentioned mm -hmm. I mean tons of some White Stripes right right. and I, I didn't want to touch any of that because other bands do it and they do it well and um, so I've never been interested in in repeating what someone else has done so it's it, then it, it's mm -hmm. the blues by way of how would you define it or do you need to um, I would say it's by the way of of Chip Kinman because I just it's it just just through my filter because I don't I don't have any other filter. All right, fair you enough. You know, you know, I have no other filter to to put it through. Um, I could say by the way of you know punk rock, but that's Chip Kinman. Yeah, I mean you, you know you are by, where you come from to a yeah, degree. <laughs> by the way of uh, of noise rock, but that's Chip Kinman. But I think also you guys are kind of punk rock, even though Dills were certainly looking towards hardcore in their own like kind of high energy speedy way mm -hmm. uh you guys were also more from that kind of punk rock headset whereas punk rock really meant we're not doing what everyone else did and we're going to do it our own way and we're going to take care of business ourselves but back then you had you had no choice because there was no there was no other way to do it uh I, the back then there was no uh, chip and i were just we were discussing this the other day uh, just the other day, we were talking about Peter Case, which uh -huh. led to talking about the nerves. And I and I and I, the nerves. I remember the first time I ever saw the nerves uh, was that they they had a show. Uh, did we have their single or something? Had we had we their gotten, single. They were in we, rock scene, right? Yeah, and we hadn't played yet, and we were like thinking, yeah. well, here's you know, well, here's a band doing something. Yeah, yeah, they were doing. Yeah, they were doing their ner the nerves. You know that. Hanging on the telephone, I think that EP. You know the nursing with their. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. I come out cover. and and uh, they were in Rock Scene magazine, which was you know a big window to you know everything that was happening. <laughs> New York, yeah, the future, <laughs> the yeah. They did yeah. stuff on uh, England and New York, New York at the you know all the t at the time, but uh, 
and some little bit of English stuff. And uh, but they they done it. They had a thing on the nerves. And uh, but anyway, said, hey, they're playing up in L.A. And they they but they played. They rented basically rented a hall, and it was them and were the weirdos on that bill. I mean, the first one they did. Yeah, I think it was the Germs and the Weirdos. I think so. Weirdos without Nikki, right? I I don't know. I you know I don't know. But anyway, it was. But it was like, but they did that because there was no. A band like the Nerves couldn't. No, I mean, uh, L.A. was full of nightclubs. The whiskey was there. Roxy I do was sort there, of have, all that stuff. Because I didn't move here to like. Uh, I mean, I'm from like you guys are from Carlsbad. I'm yeah. from Riverside, so yeah. I wasn't like in outer space, yeah. but I might as well have been. <laughs> um, you know, so I was coming up here playing with my band, and I would see the paper and stuff, and it seems to me like I would see the zeros and the nerves and the skulls and what have you on the list of who's coming up the whiskey sure. yeah but that was later this is probably on, like 77 78 yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, this uh. is this is like 76 okay and and here here in LA and I'm pretty sure 76 I think you're right maybe early I 77 know. but there but you couldn't there was no well for instance when when the Dills first started playing we played a German restaurant in Del Mar a, a pizza place in, in Garden Grove, and uh, and uh, and uh, and maybe maybe a a pro, a a you know rental hall type thing with some oh, other. And bands. we played in a gazebo in a park. Could, and yeah, basically, just, like, and those and, and those gigs were basically conning people into Hiding letting us, us play. Uh, so they could, weren't places they were holding shows. You go, hey, can oh, we bring our show yeah. here? And they pulled the plug in yeah. like, like song and a half. <laughs> yeah, it was over. The it show was, was over. Yeah, because because you couldn't you couldn't play. Uh, Regular clubs, of which there were plenty in L.A., we weren't about to let any band like that. Well, they were booking the Hollywood stars and bands like that. Yeah, yeah, were, that was still what was happening. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were showcasing major label bands, yeah. and or they would have like you know a cover band. You know, yeah, punk rock was was didn't really exist. And um, and well, back to the Nerves. I mean, and, and, and the Nerves were one of the bands that first did that. It's like they put out their own records. They they put on their own shows. And, and then he hired and us all to that play stuff. at uh, Gower Gulch. Yeah. We did the show, and uh, where would you play in Gower Gulch? There's, if you're looking at Gower Gulch, where Denny's is and everything, yeah, yeah. right to the left, there's that row of buildings, like studios and stuff. There was a uh, some room somewhere in those buildings on the left. I guess, okay. I guess that's Gower. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Some room in there, and uh, it was something else. Yeah, you just like rent a space. And it was put the on same, a show. the same time when The Damned played. You know, the, the famous right. The Damned at the Star. And by then it was '77, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was fully sure '77. Fully seventy-seven. Yeah, and, and were uh, you guys part of the uh, the whole goings on at the mask? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were we were we were uh, wave one punk rock, you know, the uh, at the beginning. Um, we played the mask, the new mask, you know. So and you, when so do you? Um, this was a little confusing reading up on, on your history. You lived in Carlsbad. Correct. Did you move to San Francisco first or here first? No, we actually never, never lived here. here. We moved from Carlsbad to San Francisco, uh, and we would spend a lot of time down here. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Danger House, Watt Records was down here. Danger House was down yeah, here. The labels we were on. Uh, so. We had friends down here, but we lived up in San Francisco, and that's was our that's was our home. That's you know. And what made you life. decide on that farther move than just? the easier move of moving to Los Angeles? Uh, the, well, the, ori the original nice reason <laughs> uh, for going up there, I think, was... Uh, oh, he liked it. 
We liked it. We liked yeah, it was a great place to be at that, you know, in the 70s. Yeah, we liked it. Uh, I liked it more than L.A. at the time. And uh, I think the original thing is that Jeff Forney's dad. We had a place to stay. Yeah, we, although we didn't. Yeah, well. Because we got up there and we all showed up at his dad's because dad, his dad was kind of a photo- photographer or something, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was a, He was in the arts. And uh, so us and Jeff and... Uh, Jeff was in the first incarnation of the yeah, deals when we had a lead singer. Tony uh, and I were, we weren't singing. Yeah, and uh, it, that didn't last long. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> the, we showed up at the guy's place thinking, yeah, well, okay, we'll just, we'll just stay with him until we get going, you know, get established. And it was like... Uh, yeah, you guys can stay here one night, and so we, <laughs> so the next day we hit the hit the streets, you know, with all of what money we'd all saved up and like rented a place. And but I think we were up there for like a month and a half before it just. Uh, we did do some shows, mm-hmm. but uh, and then uh, then we then we Met went back guns. to Carlsbad. Uh, Jeff left the band. Uh, our drummer at the time left the band. Uh, and then we moved back up. Then we moved back up to San Francisco. Wrote I Hate the Rich and moved back up. And uh, and stayed for good. Yeah. Okay. And got uh, our drummer up there. So then, let me make sure, John, I'm just kind of interested in this timeline. So then did you move to L.A. before you went to uh, no, we Austin? Did. No, New York. We, no, we never actually lived in L.A. We never we lived moved. in L.A. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so to, New York and Austin was it following San Chip, Francisco? Yeah. Yes. Well, we, we we had been down here enough. We were kind of probably the only band that was connected to three cities. San Diego, because we're from Carlsbad. Um, and Los Angeles, because we just we spent so much time down here. And we put out all of our records through L.A. Slash Records, What Records, Danger House Records. Yeah, because in all the stuff I read, you guys are part of this LA scene not yeah. this, not the San Francisco scene which is kind of weird yeah well it, well if you go up to San Francisco <laughs> we were you know there we were um, uh, alongside big, crime the Avengers crime the nuns. Avengers and the nuns yeah, those yeah. were us those are the big bands us crime and the Avengers and the nuns when we decided to stop playing punk rock because for us it was done you know because it is true you can stay at the party too long you know so we thought okay Hard, you know, as far as we were concerned, it's done. Let's get out. And um, and I moved to New York City to start a band with Alejandro Escovito. Now, how did you know him through the nuns? Through the nuns. Okay. Yeah, through the nuns. We were thick as thieves. And uh, and so I said, hey, you know, he was playing with Judy Nylon at the time in New York. And I said, I'm going to come up and let's start a band. He said, all right. So we did. And um, that's when we started playing country music. A lot. Almost exactly the same way I started playing blues music now. It's like, well, let's see what we can do with this. And um, Tony wasn't in the band. Uh, we had playing bass was uh, Barry Scratchy Myers. He was the DJ for The Clash. And Kevin Foley was our drummer. He was the drummer for uh, Judy Nylon. And um, I would send songs to Tony. And, you know, Tony would say, you know, promise me you'll never sing that line try this one you know that kind of stuff and uh and i booked a tour on the strength of the dills and the nuns across country we lived in manhattan i booked like six shows it's quite a tour it's like six shows in like you know four weeks one of those kind of tours and um and we went to oregon where tony was living and we picked him up and he was done you know living in oregon and uh, went back to new york and then we decided let's move to texas we're gonna play country music let's move to texas and get real so that's when we moved to austin because um, and Alejandro's still there. Is he, yes. Was that how he sort of discovered Austin? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. We moved to Austin because um, 
We moved to Austin because the Dills had played there, and we liked the town, and it was in Texas, so we thought, well, we don't want to move to Nashville because that Nashville sucks, you know, as far as we were concerned at that point in time, and, and we wouldn't get a leg up there, but Austin, it's kind of cool, so let's move there, and we did, and um, got a pretty chilly reception because we were playing, at first it was like, whoa, the Dills and the Nuns moved to Austin. They thought it was cool. Um, and then we did our first show at the big New Wave Club. It was called Club Foot. And they said, yeah, we'll hire you. I remember you. that. Yeah, we'll hire you. And they did, and after we played our show, they said, don't come back. <laughs> You're playing country music, because country music was the enemy. Especially Austin, which really wanted to protect it. It's like punk rock bona, you know, bona fides. And, yeah. You know, there was like, you guys can't be playing country music. And I guess that makes sense, because Austin, especially back then, I think was all music well welcome Except country, because that's what the rest of Texas is. Exactly. All- Naively enough, one one of the attractions of Austin too was, as well as we have been well received when we have played there earlier, uh, was that we, you know, we were into like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and all that. Yeah, we stuff. were into the albums. and we and we were and we we were naive enough to think that that was still happening there. You know, wow, we'll go there and. Not that we're going to be part of that, but you know, it's, it's it's just there, and you can like absorb it and go see it. Of course, that that scene had been over for years by the time we got there. So, like Chip said, it was that when we played there with uh, rank and file, you know, this this is what we're doing now. Uh, the the uh, the new music scene there was repulsed because it was like uh, <laughs> repulsed, yeah. was like what. What are you doing? We can't hear this. But you know? do you think some of that? I mean, okay, maybe Austin was kind of anti-country, but you might have just been in the I, wrong venue. No, no, I no, I well, what, as it turns out, I, we I got think, into the right venue. Yeah, I, sure. I, I think I think that what actually happened was uh, was they were. This is this is really ancient history for you kids out there. This is pre MTV. This is uh, this is you know you get Flipside magazine through the mail. Uh, you you have independent record stores and you go and you dig through, uh, you know you're gonna dig for you know independent imported 45s or albums. If you're lucky, you stuff. can listen to it at yeah. the record store. And so if you were if you were into, you know, and and some of the California bands were starting to tour, were touring and stuff like that. So, you know, you could you saved up your money and you got them and you know you wore your dead Kennedys T-shirt, you know, and, and stuff like that. And and it was. To them, it was like it was. We're working really hard to be new wave and punk rock, and yeah. we can't have this. We came. We in can't and have this. Well, so scene. a lot of the backlash, therefore, isn't so much where you were. It's or what not. You were it's doing. The, it's because it, of who you were. Well, it, yeah. Yeah, and what, yeah, yeah. And, and so what, what we were doing. So what we ended up doing is that there was this. There was this country western bar. The uh, really sort of a down and out place called the Shorthorn. It was on the outskirts of town. We got a gig there. This is right after our, our repudiation by the uh, New Wavers of Austin. <laughs> yeah. We got a gig there every Wednesday down night. Down and out Roadhouse, just Snuff Queens. and Yeah, playing. And uh, Snuff Queens and Rednecks. And we had, we got a gig there playing every Wednesday night. And that's actually where we uh, where we really actually started putting it together. Yeah, kids you know? from, um, from UT started coming to see us. Yeah. 
They it, gave us a game. It was like every Sunday, four sets a night or something. And every yeah, or Wednesday or what, whatever. It was awful. And well, at least you know. Four so sets a new a, a new crowd had to discover you. Was basically what yeah. it was. Yeah, and, and it they gave, wouldn't let us in at the, at the punk rock. Club. And it gave you a chance to like get your shit together. You know, in the dark somewhere. Right? You know, it was it was kind of, it was kind of nice. I mean, it was it was a, it was beneficial in the long run. It was, I mean, you know, hey, if if we would done that first gig and it would have gone over Gangbusters and the rest is well, you know all the rest, Bruce. <laughs> you know, that would it would I'm sure that would have been great. But as it turned out, the uh, being asked to, to being shown the door uh, by the Austin scene actually benefited us in the sense that okay, well, you know, you're gonna have to play a roadhouse uh, on the road. You know, out, on, the on, on the outskirts of town, like if you guys want to do this, this is how you do it, and that's how we did it. Yeah, in fact, we played there, and also a place called the Alamo Lounge, which was a lounge in a hotel, uh, like residency hotel. And we played with this guy Bill Neely, and it was the same sort of things. We we just kind of had to dig in, and we created our own scene, you know, because because everyone else gave us the finger, so we gave it you know, two times back and said, well, here it is, we're playing country music in your face. And then, sure enough, we, you know, we, we, we would come back to L.A. and play as rank and file, and things started happening. We got signed to Slash. And then we back, went back to Austin and say, well, we got signed to Slash. And they said, well, come back and play our club. Well, well, we got, well that's what I was going to ask. Did, did the uh, punk rock scene catch up with you and yeah, well, what say this we, is cool we, at some we, point? We, uh, yeah, well, they... They did uh, the. Uh, Do it. Oh, thank you. The. Uh, it's delicious tea. The, that uh, sounds so great on the uh, headphones. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the blasters came through town and had us open for them. All right, thank you. And you can go ahead and open those, actually. Son. The bla- the blasters <laughs> came through good. town and had us open for them, and uh, that did a lot for us. I'm in sure. Au- in Austin. Yeah, that's right. Because they they were pretty early on. Everyone thought they were as cool as could be. Well, the they, back, they, they, yeah, they were as cool as could be. And what happened? But what happened is that then, after that happened, we got we went back out. We did a West Coast trip, and uh, we got we were accidentally discovered by Slash by uh, David Kahn. by David Kahn, who ended up producing the first rank of file. But he record. didn't work with Slash, did he? he just, no, no, no. He thought no, it would be a good. He was a CBS. What guy. happened is that it's we were doing story. we were doing a gig in a we we did a gig in San Francisco. Chris Isaac. Uh, no, wasn't it? No, the, no. The, we were with, playing with the Red Rockers. It was. Oh, uh, was it the Red Rockers? It was uh, us, the Offs, and the Red, Red Rockers, Rockers. <laughs> and uh, and David Kahn. I believe it was, and David Kahn was there because he, the Red Rockers had just been signed, I think, to Columbia. Or he CBS was a Columbia guy. That's right. He, he ended was, up doing the bangs. No, yeah, but he was, he had, and uh, he, he had, he had been signed to produce their album. So he came down, to but see he'd it. never seen them. So he came in and walked in our set and thought we were the Red Rockers. He came backstage and he came backstage and afterwards was going, "Hey, that's great, man! That one song you did, okay, the third <laughs> song, and, other, and so we're just talking this stuff about us, and then and then we're finally going like." Well, who do you think we are? He goes, you're the Red Rockers, right? And I said, no, we're rank and file. And he said, oh, and I said, they, Red Rockers are just getting ready to go on. He says, I'm going to go watch them. I want to talk, anyway. I wanna yeah. talk to you uh, when they're done. And so he came back, phone number. He said, how long are you in town? I believe we did. Well, I, well, we went to the Automat in San Francisco, and we recorded like four songs, four or five songs. 
after the Jefferson Starship left the studio. So we would go in, because they would record to like 3 in the morning or something. Well, that, no, in. that's how we made the record ship, the yeah. album. Well, the, the demo as well, right? Or yeah. not the demo, but the first few songs. Well, we recorded the de- uh, Well, we, we did the demo with Khan. Yeah. Well, we don't make demos, we make records. Right? Yeah, and that's what... <laughs> and and. Uh, but that's probably what he used to get you guys the deal, right? And, and, is, yeah. and yeah, and Dave, I think I believe Dave Alvin got got it to Bob Biggs's ear, or Bob Dave Alvin had talked to us to because Slash had already signed the Blasters, and Dave had spoken to Bob Biggs about us, and uh, and so Biggs was receptive to hearing this, went up, and so he got a copy of it and he picked us up, and that's really what kind of got us, because. Uh, happening back, back in Austin, Austin. Yeah. because the thing is, is that uh, when the word got back that got hey, these Slash. guys are happening in California, and they just got a record deal out there with Slash, which was considered a really hip sure. record by then, because the X had gone, the X had been, and the Blasters had, or, had just gotten picked up. We were golden, and and it was like, and when we came back, that's when Austin just kind of went. I always like these guys. Yeah, <laughs> always like them. And these cow, yeah. And they started showing up wearing cowboy hats and you know and all that stuff. And it just kind of they just sort of loosened up, which was uh, which was really, it was good for us. You know? Sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Then yeah. so actually, rank and file went on for what four or five years, maybe even longer than that. To 1982. Well, from the sundown came out in 82. Eight, no, about 86. To about 86 or seven. Yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty then, good run. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Now, popular band. So when did when did Blackbird come about? I feel like that was nineties. No, Blackbird started in the eighty seven. Yeah, eighty seven, eighty eight. Because I remember we, we were on a tour. We were on a rank and file tour, and things just weren't going well. And uh, and we had a. What do you think caused it to start to decline? Uh, Me. <laughs> were you being a bad boy, Chip? No, I'll take the blame because. Um, on the third rank and file record, we kind of got tired of playing country music, and because um, we th- well we thought again you can stay at the party too long. Yes, you can. So we thought, okay, we're good, we're done. And uh, uh, I was listening at the time. I was listening to, like Scorpions and stuff. And I thought, oh, well, let's let's do something that's because we always try to do something anti, something different from 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 what's like popular and and in our world country music was popular so I said, well, let's <laughs> let's play like you know hard rock and um tony bless his heart went along with it um but well, what, but what, it killed our career destroyed what gave, our career what gave the idea to do hard rock with a with a drum machine no well, well this common. was no this was the last rank and file record oh, oh yeah I'm this is the last rank and file this is what killed rank and file because but would you really call that a hard rock record? The last one, well, the third one on we one tried. On Rhino, yeah, we tried to yeah. make it a hard. And why rock did you record? flip to Rhino? Never. Un- well, they said they put out a record. They said, yeah, we weren't on Slash anymore, and Rhino was. Did they drop you, or your contract just played out? Uh, Slash, yeah. Slash got weird. Slash got just. Slash was uh, they Biggs probably was on, dropped us, but but. No, like, what happened is that the uh, the. Just got weird. <laughs> it got weird, and the. You've heard about record companies that have to deal with bands that have a lot of drug problems. Sure. We were a band that didn't do drugs trying to deal with a record company that had a lot of drug problems. <laughs> okay. And yeah. what would happen, and no, this That's literally true. happened for like a year and a half. Uh, I, I won't mention uh, 
the names, name. Right. Uh, but because I, for all I know, I, I could end up getting sued. But the head of the label would literally, this happened for a year and a half. Remember, now we were an independent band, uh, which means uh, Chip and I weren't, uh, you know, we're talking about. So what kind of engine does your Ferrari have in it? Mine is, my. <laughs> you, Dave, you got that fuel injection thing? No, it's like, okay, you, you get on the road, you make money. You sell records, you make, you know, but you got to work to make, you're making your money by working, right? And uh, and so we were we were getting ready to make our third album for like a year and a half, and it was like it was a really long time. Okay, you guys, we want you to start recording by I can't remember whatever the February, right? Okay, so okay, well, okay, no more quit booking shows and uh, you know wrap wrap up any kind of tours by November, beginning of December. Uh, start rehearsing for the recording session, right? Uh, okay, we're going. We're going. We start in uh, what February, January, February. Uh, okay, so we are not on the road. We're That's, not making money. We're not making any money, but we're going to be recording. It's going to be great. The head, the record company president would come into rehearsal and going, "It's fantastic! I love it." You know, we have a producer. He's love it. You know, if they're scratching his teeth, it's going to be fantastic and wonderful. And uh, <laughs> and we said, and our and and okay, so we've got the time booked. So Monday we're we're starting. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But uh, Monday the phone phone call. No, I I think guys it needs a little more work. This literally went on for a year and a half. Uh, tooth scratching. Uh, I can't reach him for two weeks. Where is he? I, nobody knows. Okay, now he's back. Now he's back to rehearsals. It's like uh, with the scratchy teeth again and the all itchy all over. It sounds wonderful and fantastic and great. But uh, you know, I I think maybe we should. Uh, I think maybe we should. We should. Uh, uh, the producer thing. I, I, I want you to go in the studio. I want you to go in the studio with insert name here we insert name here we show up at this and and it turns out this producer is his fucking drug dealer <laughs> who we come in there and he's got fucking coke lined up on the thing and he says hey you you guys want a bump before we get started uh no let's just get started please and then halfway through the session he freaks out because he can't find his mother load this is like this is like something out of a movie right okay so uh and, and uh, never heard so story. okay so this this guy doesn't work out so we're back with our original producer the same thing we're rehearsing in the meantime Chip, okay let's let's okay we've got like a bunch and of new songs this now. Whole time. and this whole time we're not on the road it's like what what are you fucking doing to us there's uh an indie band back then depended on press there was no press because we weren't doing anything oh, you know we we went oh i remember yeah we went in to like beg to get or we told look we don't have any money we have to get started our label told us our record label said get jobs yeah <laughs> it's like, have you wow. thought about getting jobs and we'll tide you over while this what you know and so finally 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 after finally after a year and a half it was like this is we just, begged them to get off yeah, yeah it was like it was like yeah, yeah you're right I, let I us go that, yeah. you know this isn't oh man and then and then they did and then gary you know gary, gary stewart picked us up. yeah gary at rhino gary stewart and we put out that record and um you know, anyway, should... anyway, bottom line, by the, or, or not bottom line, but one of the things is by the time this process was over, it was like the, it was like a joyless, absolutely joyless experience. It was Plus, like, a lot of the steam must have run out of the van. Yeah, yeah. it was Frank there. Was there was done. nothing. You know, there, there there was nothing happening by that time. People didn't even know we were still together. It was like, and we had literally been like treading water. Not only treading water, but like with somebody pulling your feet under the mm-hmm. thing and it's like I'm saying it's like no the band didn't do drugs the record company were did. you part of the uh, 
during that time, were you part of the Warner Brothers machinery? Or, yeah. Or to, okay, I wouldn't. Yeah, Long Gone Dead, our second album, came out of Warner Brothers. Yeah, because yeah. um, I've read uh, kind of a similar story uh, about Faith No More, who, of course, had a huge had a big, yeah. uh, you know, debut lot, with, yeah. with Slash. And then they were working on their second record, and I think it was because that was getting reissued, this whole article was out, but they were saying they were in the studio recording it. Record label comes in, whoever their A&R guy was, and, like listening to stuff. And the second record was... I mean, the, it was their third. But the second one for Slash is quite weirder than the big hit one that they mm -hmm. played toured two years on. And he's listened to it, and, was, and they'd made a ton of money on that first record. Yeah, you know, rock stars and what have you. And he, I guess the A and R guys looked at everyone and goes, "Well, I hope you didn't buy houses." And, he, and, and the, whoever was telling the story was like, and the air just went out of the room. Yeah. Can you imagine that? That's so. Yes, I can. But yes, I can. there you are. Well, and Blackbird was a was a step away from all that, you know, because yeah. um, that's when we went. You know what? Screw it. Let's, uh, you know, it's it's DIY time, and so we. Uh, we well, got, yeah, a, got a drum machine, and Tony and I said, "Let's. There's not going to be any show. We're going to play as loud as we can. We're not going to stop. We're going to write these songs, and <laughs> we're just going to put it out there." And we did. And I remember our one of our first shows was at Lingerie. It was sold out, and uh, uh, Craig Craig Bag, Craig Lee, yeah. Uh, yeah, Craig Lee. He reviewed it for the Times, L.A. Times. And, uh, and he wrote, this is either like genius or career suicide. I'm not really sure which this is. And it turned out to be a really good move for us because Blackbird was really popular. And um, Yeah, I sort of remember it coming out with the Big Bang and everybody being on board. Yeah, yeah, it was really popular. And it, it was kind of, it was, it was good for Tony and I to get back to basis because we had been, before Blackbird, we'd been recording records at like big studios, you know, the Automat and, and down Ocean, here, Sound. Ocean Sound down here. And we made our like first Blackbird record for Flipside magazine, and uh, Cole Kuntz from Nitronic. Uh, uh, yeah, from Brain Dead Sound Machine. Yeah, Brain Dead Sound Machine, Nitronic Sound Research. He um he said, okay, Chip, here's your vocal, and he handed me like this little like like um mic from from like a dictating machine. I said, well, <laughs> I'm gonna sing into this. He said, yeah, just you know, it's, it's the only mic we have. Just sing into it. And then he put it in like a stomp box, a guitar, you know, a guitar stomp box. And I went, wait a minute, you're gonna use that for me? Just just sing. And um, he was right. You know, it's like, what's the best mic you in the world? The one you have. You know, <laughs> yeah. and to make a record, you want to make a good record, record something good. Yeah. <laughs> and and Cole, he like actually taught us lessons that that I still believe to this day you know most importantly you want to make a good record record something good you have a good record that's yeah. simple as that and uh, I try to live by that that's for sure that's true but but we did Blackbird and Blackbird Blackbird did great we yeah. did great yeah it's we did you know we, we it was it wasn't career suicide and um, but it was another one of those things where we did it and then after three albums it's like Three that, albums, that's kind of our thing. That stayed, that stayed indie the whole, entire time, though, correct? Yeah. Even, well, we, well yeah. Scotty Brothers. I mean, I guess that's, that's indie, right. but it was Scotty Brothers. Now, that, that we went mafia. Been, you know? I was going to say, that must have been a bit of an unusual experience. Yes, it, it was. was. It was. It was. But it's one of those things, too, where you're just sort of going... Uh, I'll do it. You know? Yeah, I'll do it. Because the money was so They good. paid us. Yeah, yeah the, paid the, money us was, the, money, the money was like... Um, at t times was outrageous but the but uh but it was just one of those things where you're just kind of going this 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 is this is this is uh this is the third act you know this is the final act of this because it was just 
it was surreal some of the things yeah and and you're just kind of and it's like chip said you're just sort of kind of running out a little bit out of uh what you know we what, had all what the, got you, what got you into it in the first place it was so bizarre i mean <laughs> i mean talk, i mean you could make a movie out of this we had like all these weird managers that used to be big in the 60s and we yeah, had the business like, end of yeah the business had, end of this of us we has had weird agents really weird. that you know hey i used to book you know like donovan and and you know when he was hit but 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 i'm back and Okay, you know, I mean, we had so and, and many. And these people that Scotty Brothers were putting you together. No, with? these we, were just, they just kind we of. We couldn't after after. <laughs> what's funny is that after us, between our first and second, between the first and second rank and file album, and this is a mystery to me. We had a manager from uh, from Austin, who, uh, when we were happening in Austin, she started managing us, and uh, she wasn't very good. We ended up canning her for various for uh, various reasons, but little did we know that she would be end up being the best manager we, we would ever had. have, <laughs> because everybody after her was horrible. What, I mean, it's saying? just it, just crazy, and I and I, I mean, like in terms of what, like what what, what was not going correctly? Just, just it, they really had no. It, it was a lot of people who used to be somebody. Chip, we moved to L.A. in nineteen eighty four because we had. Nor could we find anybody. Our first record had sold like 120,000 copies. American Our, our second record was just limits, getting ready to come know, we out. All the shows. We were signed to Slash Warners. We could not find a soul who would t- handle our business. Not anybody. I wonder why. I do not know. Uh, now, uh, we would find people like... Uh, I'll be your manager, you know, but it's like you're just going, I, t- you seem like a sweet kid, but you're like a 20-year-old Or a 70-year-old guy. He's yeah, or a 70-year-old guy who's coming out of retirement to do it. And you're going, <laughs> I, I don't think Bless so, you know. I mean, and, and I remember some of the other people at the time who had good managers. Fucking Chris Isaac had a fantastic manager who, who, who kept his relationship with Warner Brothers alive through like several, you know, several dud albums he was recording his first album the same time we were at the same place in san francisco the difference is is that his manager just nurtured that record the record company relationship through like several several dog albums before he hit with uh that whatever it is he hit with yeah the big video yeah and uh his big video and uh well yeah the uh you know we needed somebody like that who was just but we moved out here because we could there was no we couldn't find anybody i would have rather stayed in austin so the music business per se actually drew you to la not the scene but just being in we had to come back here so we could start showing up at offices and stuff all like right. that to answer questions yeah. i don't think i've ever heard be that there. before no because we could not find yeah, anybody it would just would yeah have been like sucked into an austin hole and yeah never yeah and i and i remember and i remember uh talking to linda clark who was uh working with Los Lobos at the time. I think she had started managing them. Linda Clark had used to work at Slash, right? And I remember we were thinking, well, maybe Linda could manage us. And uh, and we went over to her house for dinner because we were going to have sort of a you know dinner and then you know, we were going to pitch this to her. Could you handle the band? Like that. She was just kind of like, no. Uh, <laughs> and I just kind of went, well, and, and then she did some really weird sort of like, yeah, well, yeah. Now you guys need people or something, and I'm kind of going, well, your people. <laughs> what? Yeah, what we does do. That mean? Yeah, yeah, it was like people, no, but not this people. No, impl- no, implying that that we had uh, we had like 
stepped on the little people on the way up or th- and it's like and it's like excuse me for one thing we we we're not up you know we we and two i've always kind of i was raised right you know and i'm not an asshole we don't step on um, and we don't i don't step on people in fact i go out of my way not to step on people and i had no i and excuse me linda i you are working for people that i do know step on people so what's the what are you talking about you know but yeah I, I, so i still to this day have no idea what that remark yeah. meant but we could maybe we are assholes yeah the word. bruce you brought it out in us well you know you heard it here first people assholes from the phantom ranch and, yeah. and that wraps this up <laughs> good night assholes never darken my door again but the uh the uh and so we we so, but it, that is why we moved out here yeah. because it was just like they they just basically said but uh, that didn't work yet anyways what's you that you never really found the manager no. you were looking yeah no for we didn't no we didn't well we didn't move out here because we to looking for a manager we look at her because we didn't have one it yeah. was like well we I can't be sitting. well that's what I mean you never yeah, yeah. connected with anybody nobody that all not come really. together nobody no and things just like got bizarre and weird and 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 we're kind of used to that. Well, we got used to it, and um, you know, and so when Blackbird was done again, it was like the three album limit. You know, get to the third. Is it, album. Was that mainly because the interest and inspiration just kind of started to fade? Like, okay, I think we've done we're, what we yeah. can do. Yeah, you can yeah. tell. And artistically, it's like we're done. You know, it's like the. the and you guys reach these decisions pretty much looking at it's each mutual. other. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's mutual. That's pretty. Easy. Well, you like tell the well, how, yeah, the same yeah. thing. Well, how rank and file broke up. Uh, well, what the decision to break up rank and file was that we we were on this tour and we had a uh, uh, we had a break right in the middle of it in the East Coast. Uh, Bobby, our drummer, and Jeff, our guitar player, uh, they flew back home, and Chip and I stayed in New York. We had friends there, and plus we just gotten a, a really nice publishing check from Bug, and so mm-hmm. we had two young guys with lots of money in New York. It was fun. It was, a, it was I, a great. Let me do a little sidebar. Our publishing has always done well. Yeah. Throughout all of this, it's always done well. Yeah. And you, you're still with Bug, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They've, anyway. And uh, <laughs> and we just decided, let's let's just finish this. You know, let's be yeah. done with this. And and just started brain, this, this brainstorming, you know, like, why this? Mm-hmm. We did Blackbird. That? Yeah. And, uh, and so when we... Uh, we, you know, we told the guys when uh, you know when the tour was over, and we just came back to LA and just put it together. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. at that point in time, how did the idea of Cowboy Nation even come up? Cowboy Nation was a really high concept band. Uh, we, uh, again, like our other man. We, no, we were we were done. We were done. No, but Cowboy Nation yeah, was, yeah, it was, it was it a was very design. Concept. It was a very design sound. Yeah. Uh, we we wanted to. Okay, I've always loved the. I've I've always two of my favorite albums have always been "Mean as Hell" by Johnny Cash and a cowboy record, right? No, and uh, a, a western record and "Redhead a Stranger" by uh, Willie Nelson, a cowboy record. Came with the idea do of doing something absolute, just totally minimal, just minimal. And the idea was, and I, we want, especially on the first Cowboy Nation album, we wanted to see how far we could actually do a song and but take. Everything, take everything away from it, but still have it recognizable as a song, you know. And so you start approaching by something as obviously as subtractive as what, and we didn't want to sound rock at all. So we got rid of the snare drum. Yeah, it's no snare drum. No snare drum. Because that's, you know, boom, bam. 
Sure. It's it. That, you know. And so no snare drum, uh, minimal percussion, minimal, uh, minimal bass and guitar parts, especially in the first album. And we, uh, and with, uh, with a cowboy theme, a Western theme, not country Western, Western. Strictly, yeah. A Western thing. <coughs> and, uh, we, we got a deal out of Australia. Yeah. And um, they sent us 3000 bucks. and we went out and bought a, a eight-track reel-to-reel. How did that come together? How did Australia find you? <laughs> There's a rank-and-file fan okay. who, used, who, who wrote me and said, hey, I'm coming to L.A. For, on, a, on a vacation, and, um, and can we meet? And it just sounded nice. We, we sent it a couple of... Uh, uh, emails back and forth and and i said well sure and you know as a matter of fact you can stay at my place i live with jill jordan at the time tattoo artist and um and ian bennett is his name is his name and as it turns out he worked at this record company and um he was great he's just and he still is he's just a great guy and then he said uh then he had left and this was before cowboy nation we were doing blackbird and stuff and then when we did cowboy nation i said um hey i've got this new record and um i'm thinking about putting out and tony and i had recorded two or three songs on a four-track cassette recorder. Mm -hmm. You know, we did that, and we sent that to him, and he said, oh, we'll put this out. And he said, yeah, we'll give you, I don't know, a couple thousand bucks to, you know, to to make the record. So we went out and bought a reel-to-reel tape recorder with that and recorded our album on that. And uh, Just at home? Yeah. All right. Yeah, Tony's living. Well, I mean, if it's that minimal, it probably sound pretty great that way. It did. It did. Yeah, (laughs) and it was, uh, there was was really no need to, to, uh, I mean, it's always nice to go into a, a fancy schmancy studio, but there was no need for it. And, and sometimes home provides yeah. things that other places don't in terms yeah. of like, yeah. especially even sound, yeah. especially for cowboy music. Yeah. You, know. you know, we left. They, I mean, the windows would be open, and you could, the birds would be on the tracks, but it was great. Thank you, and, Tony's uh, dog barking. So it's a cowboy record. Well, here it's we fun. have motorcycles, yeah. so I, maybe <laughs> not, not quite as uh, and, uh, apropos. Yeah. But it was, but it was very, it was very high concept, and uh, we. You know the and the writing was the writing just kind of came easy in that yeah. group because it was so it was fun too it was really the, fun to do and the whole the whole imagery from that you know of of the American West in myth and legend obviously you know uh, and we got is 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 just so rich and and we got to meet a lot of great people like Gary Robert yeah. Because we actually got on, there is a cowboy scene, and we actually got in, in, in into, you know, we met a lot of the people there. And we, we got we, we played, got signed. We played <laughs> certain show, you know, we played certain festivals and things like that. Uh, you know, we Which played was, we played uh, L.A. crap too, but you know, we we also did the the. Well, what's interesting, it followed like stuff. like our our career. We got signed to the biggest cowboy label called Western Jubilee, and. Um, and we would do like these cowboy shows and because it was us and we had like Jamie Spidell playing drums, you know, this yeah. like punk rock girl playing drums and pe- people just, because uh, usually it's like these guys get up there and it's like the Roy Rogers show, you know, and it's like stupid. And then we'd get up there and be all serious and doing this and the cowboy scene, a lot of them got it, but a lot of them didn't. They just went, oh my God, you know, what the fuck is this? So. It, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be like kind of up their nose. I'm sure. You know, with what we were doing. Now, am I remembering correctly also that this was another three album venture? Yeah. It, yeah, it ended up being yeah, that it was way. A three yeah. album, yeah. And so what? When did when did Cowboy Nation rap? What year was that? About. Been a while. It was after two thousand. Two thousand six so. or something. Oh, I didn't realize oh, yeah. it was that recent. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it was about probably about right. Yeah, we did three albums and. Um, and again, it was like, okay, well, we're done with this. And so, what was in the time between that and Ford Maddox Ford? Um, if anything, what, well, there was. Uh, Tony and I stopped playing together because we thought, let's take a break. I got married, raised a family, and I put out a record. I put out one album on um, uh, Fundamental Records out of Chicago, and it was uh, a band I put together called PCH, and it was, um, it was. It was called my first punk rock record. It was like punk rock for kids, and it was fourteen songs in eleven minutes. All right, right, and it's all like downstrokes, eighth notes, and uh, and really simple stuff. It's a really neat record, you know. If, if if you guys can find it, super obscure. If you can find it, go get it. But um, but I, I put that record out. And, Did you make it uh, to Spotify? Yeah. As a okay. Fact, there you yeah, go. So as a matter there. of fact, it is. All right. And um, it, it's funny because I run into people who like. Like we just did a recording session with a uh, Mac McKenzie from from is a uh, uh, Mick Mac Indian from Canada, and he was Three recording a rank. And, yeah, he's recording a rank and file song, and, and and he knows the PCH records like one of his favorite records. And he was like singing the songs to me. I was going, yeah, yeah. There's that one. There's that one too. So anyway, um, and then there's probably just a little bit of a little bit of time passed by, and then I decided to do um, Ford Maddox Ford. Put and Tony, what have you been doing all this time? <coughs> just goofing around. Come on, you're not a goof. Uh, you're not the goofy type yeah, he's, of guy. He's like a goofing around kind of guy, right? Basically, yeah. No, no, no nothing serious. Do you want to get back into the live music scene? No, or are you kind of no. done? I'm kind of done. You like being behind the scenes and writing and, and if producing. That, if that, you know, I, he's good at producing. He, yeah. uh, um, he, he like in the studio. He's got good ears. He can remember the good the good takes. You know, and say, okay, we'll keep that. We'll That's do that. super we'll important. Do that. Yeah, yeah, sure is. So. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, and we're just under an hour. I like to try to keep these under an hour because I know Sounds people got to get somewhere, okay. you know, when they're listening to this stuff. So we're going to wrap it up, but uh, this was very informative, and I think anyone that's. Uh, Thinking about being in a band, doing a band, looking at the music business could learn a lot just from listening to what you guys have had to say. If you yeah. want to do it, if you want to do it for real, kids out there, work hard and commit. Commit to your art. Yeah. No to. day jobs. Do it. No day jobs. No. All right. No, be, be, be poor. Be right. poor and commit if you have to. All right. I like that. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Bruce. Ford Maddox Ford, coming to your town soon. Heck yeah. <laughs> right on. Thank you for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio, 